This is America in the Morning from Westwood One. Good morning, I'm John Trout. It's Friday, March 1st, 2024. Here's what's coming up on America in the Morning. Dueling trips to the southern border. It's a military operation. This is like a war. I'm Clayton Neville. Congress passes another short-term funding bill averting a government shutdown. I'm John Stolness in Washington. The Pentagon's chief is on the defensive as lawmakers confront him over his secret hospital stay. Sagar Magani, Washington. A former career U.S. diplomat says he'll plead guilty to charges that he served as a secret agent for Cuba. I'm Jackie Quinn. On Wall Street, March comes in like a lion. The Nasdaq and the S&P 500 each open at fresh record highs this morning. I'm Jessica Edinger. The National Weather Service issued a blizzard warning for high elevations in the Sierra Nevada mountains. I'm Jennifer King. Flu shots are performing okay through winter flu season in the United States. High up in Juani, Washington. All ahead on America in the Morning. Former President Donald Trump and President Biden made separate trips to the Texas-Mexico border. Correspondent Clayton Neville reports the politicians share concerns about the state of the border, but differ on how to fix them. Former President Trump visited Eagle Pass, Texas, where Texas National Guard members and state law enforcement are stationed and where the divide between the federal and state government is growing wider. It's a military operation. I mean, we have a military. This is like a war. Trump touted his immigration policies and pointed to the Biden administration when discussing the recent murder of Georgia college student Lakin Riley. A man believed to be in the U.S. illegally is charged in her killing. The monster that charged uh, charged in the death is an illegal alien migrant who was led into our country and released into our communities by crooked Joe Biden. He's crooked. Trump was joined by members of the Texas Guard and the state's governor, Greg Abbott, who said that Texas will continue to do what he insists the federal government won't in securing the southern border. Unless and until Joe Biden steps up and does his job, that Texas will continue to bust those migrants to sanctuary cities all across the United States of America. Trump called what's happening at the border a Biden invasion. Last year, almost half of all ICE arrests were criminal aliens charged for more than 33,000 assaults, 3,000 robberies, 6,900 burglaries. The president was hundreds of miles away in Brownsville, Texas, where he took a different approach and offered a message to his political rival. Here's what I would say to Mr. Trump. Instead of playing politics with issue, Instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, join me, or I'll join you in telling the Congress to pass this bipartisan border security bill. We can do it together. There was some speculation the president could announce an executive order related to immigration, but he didn't. Instead, he doubled down on his call for Congress to pass a recently failed proposal he believes would fix the surge of migration. With this deal, we could hire 1,500 additional border security agents. 1,500 additional officers and officers. While no immediate action was taken at the border, the dueling trips brought attention to what will continue to be a top issue on the campaign trail. I'm Clayton Neville. There will be no government shutdown, at least this time around, as Congress works to pass another short-term funding bill. But what's next? John Stolness has that from Washington. 
Both the House and Senate easily passed the continuing resolution that keeps the government's doors open for at least another week and extending a second deadline to March 22nd. It comes as congressional leaders announced an agreement on six appropriations bills that will be read and voted on individually next week. Ahead of last night's vote, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said he's happy they avoided a shutdown. When we pass this bill, we will have, thank God, avoided a shutdown with all its harmful effects on the American people. Speaker Mike Johnson defying those on the far right of his caucus, working with his fellow leaders to finalize the agreement. Appropriations process is, is ugly. Democracy is ugly. Um, this is the way it works every year, always has, except that we've instituted some new innovations. We broke the omnibus fever. 97 House Republicans voted against last night's extension, although 113 supported it. And it comes five months after a handful of House Republicans voted to boot former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy from his post for working with Democrats to secure a short-term funding deal that prevented a government shutdown. Two of those Republicans, Nancy Mace and Bob Good, were asked by CNN what's different now with Speaker Johnson seemingly doing the same thing that got McCarthy ousted. Well, he inherited a lot of Kevin, or Kevin McCarthy's bad deals, number one, so don't fault him for that. But number two, I'm gonna say the same thing I've always said, Republicans and Democrats alike are spending too damn much, period. Uh, we have continued uh, with the CRs the same the same policies that uh, that I voted against on September 30, the last act of the previous speaker. That's true. Speaker Johnson says they're close to an agreement on the other six appropriations bills that would fund the Pentagon, Homeland Security, Health and Human Services, and the State Department. When all is said and done, Congress will likely have approved $1.6 trillion in spending for this fiscal year, the same as last year. John Stolnes, Washington. When we return on America in the Morning, former ambassador charged with spying after these messages. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. This is America in the Morning. Rain and snow. Part of today's forecast, here's AccuWeather.com meteorologist Matt Rindy to take a look. A storm moving through the southern plains into the southeast today will spread rain and some thunderstorms from Louisiana and southern Illinois this morning, as well as Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, and northward to eastern Kentucky, and then continuing into the Carolinas and Virginia. Some of the rain will be heavy and could lead to some slower travel through the area. 
Meanwhile, the rest of the Plain States from Texas to North Dakota will be dry today with plenty of sunshine and temperatures once again will be well above their historical average. Some places in the Dakotas will have temperatures as much as 25 to 30 degrees above their historical average with highs in the 60s to near 70. This trend of milder weather will also expand eastward into the Great Lakes, Middle Atlantic and Northeast. There'll be plenty of sunshine for most and highs will climb into the 40s and 50s. Heading to the storm in the west, it is already producing very heavy rain and significant snow first thing this morning across the coastal states from Washington to California. Additional rain along the coast will be another one to two inches, and that could lead to some more localized flooding. And the rain will continue southward along the California coast this afternoon into tonight. But the big story of this storm will be the snow in the mountains, especially in the Sierra Nevada, where snow will be very heavy with gusty winds causing massive blowing and drifting. Snow totals will generally range from two Two to four feet today and tonight with winds gusting past 70 miles per hour. This will simply bury some structures with additional heavy snow and gusty winds into the rest of the weekend. Amounts could be as high as 10 feet by Sunday morning. This storm will continue to expand into Washington and Oregon as well as parts of the northern Rockies. That's the nation's weather. I'm AccuWeather.com meteorologist Matt Rindy. I'm John Trout. Remember, you can follow us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and YouTube. Just search America in the Morning in your favorite listening app. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin spent Thursday on the defensive as House lawmakers questioned why his hospital stay last month was kept from the White House for days. Washington correspondent Sagar Magani reports. The chain of command doesn't work when the commander-in-chief doesn't know who to call. That's why we want to know who made the decision to withhold that information from the president. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin admits the Pentagon screwed up by going days without telling the White House he was hospitalized last month. But at a House hearing, Austin was adamant. There was never any lapse in authorities or in command and control. At all times, either I or the deputy secretary was in a position to conduct the duties of my office. Austin says the Pentagon's made changes to improve the notification process if he has to transfer duties again. But Republicans like Jim Banks say it's troubling that it took three days for the commander in chief to find out his defense chief was off the job. Either the president is that aloof or you are irrelevant. Which one is it, Mr. Secretary? Austin says neither is true. Sagar Magani, Washington. A former U.S. ambassador has changed his plea now admitting to spying for Cuba. Correspondent Jackie Quinn reports. 73-year-old former ambassador Manuel Roca changed his plea from not guilty to guilty, telling a federal judge in Miami he'll admit to two counts of conspiring to act as a foreign agent in exchange for 13 other charges being dropped. Not only did Roca work for the State Department, he was a special advisor to the head of the military's U.S. Southern Command. Roca had been caught on tape calling the U.S. the enemy and bragging about being a Cuban mole for some 40 years of service. I'm Jackie Quinn. Mortgage rates not just affecting home buyers and surging stellar stocks after these messages.
America in the Morning back now. Your automobile, a national security threat? Citing potential risks, the Biden administration says it will investigate Chinese-made smart cars with the focus on seeing if these vehicles can gather sensitive information about the Americans driving them. The probe could lead to new regulations aimed at preventing China from using electric vehicle technology to track personal details. President Biden assures us he's taking unprecedented steps to safeguard Americans' data. March is not coming in like a lamb if you're looking at the U.S. stock market. Here's CNBC's Jessica Ettinger with Friday Business. Wall Street beginning March trading this morning like a lion after notching the fourth winning month in a row for stocks. A rally off of last October's bottom. The Nasdaq opens with its first record high since 2021 this morning. The S&P 500 index also opens at a new all-time high. You have strong performance from the home builders, from a number of tech names outside of the Magnificent Seven, uh, from the industrial space, from GE, a number of healthcare companies, not just Lilly, but how about Merck? I think there's a broad swath of stocks and, and industries that are doing quite well that are helping drive these gains across markets, not just the Nasdaq, but more generally. So this is Dan Greenhouse on CNBC. Last night after the closing bell, Dell shares soared 20% on strong quarterly results. Inflation came in lower in January in the PCE, Personal Consumption Expenditures Report. Year-over-year core deflator, in my opinion, one of the more important numbers, 2.8. So we've made progress. Now, here's something interesting. This is my favorite calculation. This is now the 12th consecutive month that this has moved lower than the previous month, and that is indeed a very good thing. CNBC's Rick Santelli. The PCE also breaks down Americans' income and spending for January. The income and spending numbers, it's very interesting to me that income was up 1% and spending was was up only 0.2%. Savings rate was up just a little bit. Consumers uh, seem to have decided to take a break, replenish their savings a little bit. They seem to have had a, a pretty robust holiday spending season. And so January was a pause. And I, I guess the question becomes for the market, is it a pause that refreshes or a pause that is the leading edge of perhaps slower consumer spending? CNBC's senior economics reporter, Steve Leesman. It's been a tough time of late for mortgage brokers and realtors. Yeah, Real estate agents can't catch a break. They never thought this year could be worse for home sales than last year, which was the worst since 1995. But January didn't look good. Pending home sales dropped. The forecast was for a gain. Sales down 8.8% from January of last year. That's a big miss. This number is based on signed contracts. So people out shopping in January and making the deal. The 30-year fix started January around 6.75%, down from the high of 8% in October, but off the lows of December. The Realtors chief economist Lawrence Yun wrote, consumers are showing extra sensitivity to changes in mortgage rates in the current cycle, and that's impacting home sales. CNBC's Diana Ol. On today's watch list, we get fresh reads on manufacturing, construction spending, car sales, and consumer sentiment. New in theaters, Warner Brothers Dune Part 2. It's expected to be a major blockbuster. The Mega Millions jackpot tonight, well over a half billion dollars. Thank you. There's CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. The flu vaccine. Effective? That when America in the Morning continues after these messages.
This is America in the Morning. 8 to 12 feet of snow. That's not the forecast for northern Alaska. We're talking about the mountains of California as a three-day blizzard with nearly 100-mile-per-hour winds is heading into the Sierra Nevada. Correspondent Jennifer King reports forecasters say a Pacific storm is shaping up to be the strongest of the season. Winter storm warnings are in effect for half a dozen northwestern states, with forecasters expecting blowing snow, high winds, and whiteout conditions as a front from the Pacific Ocean heads east. The National Weather Service issued a blizzard warning for high elevations in the Sierra Nevada mountains. In the Lake Tahoe region, from 2 to 10 feet of snow is possible with ridgetop winds of up to 100 miles per hour, which could make mountain travel dangerous to impossible Friday into Saturday morning. At UC Berkeley's Central Sierra Snow Lab in Soda Springs, lead scientist Andrew Schwartz says it's possible they could break their modern-day record of about three and a half feet in a single day. Christy Anderson, a waitress in South Lake Tahoe, said she's already filled up her gas tank and was stocking up on food and firewood. The Cascades and the Rockies are also expected to get some snow. Heavy rain is expected in the Pacific Northwest, with flood watches around Olympia and Seattle and a winter storm warning in the Olympic and Cascade Mountains. I'm Jennifer King. Flu season. Still with us, and correspondent Haya Panjwani reports on the flu vaccine's effectiveness this season. The vaccines have about 40% effectiveness in preventing adults from getting sick to the point of a doctor's visit, while children were roughly at 60%. That's according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Generally, officials like for a flu vaccine to be between 40 to 60% effectiveness. These estimates are similar to what the CDC reported during last flu season, but vaccines in some other recent seasons proved to be less effective, which was influenced by what strain was dominating at that time and how well the vaccine matches to it. Hi, up in Juani, Washington. America in the Morning for Friday, March 1st, 2024 is produced by Jeff McKay, senior producer Kevin Delaney. I'm John Trout. This is Westwood One. This is America in the Morning from Westwood One. I'm John Trout. Coming up this half hour. As they made dueling visits to the southern border, President Biden issued a challenge to Donald Trump. Sagar Magani, Washington. The nationwide impacts of the surge of migration at the southern border. I'm Clayton Neville. Russian President Vladimir Putin has failed to fulfill Moscow's goals in Ukraine. I'm Karen Shamas. Bills have been passed in Alabama's House and Senate with the goal of safeguarding in vitro fertilization treatments. I'm Sue Allen. Snow is falling in the Texas panhandle as a wildfire continues to burn in the region. I'm Haya Panjwani. Dune Part 2 hits theaters this weekend, and I'll tell you if it's worth your time. I'm Kevin Carr. Back after these messages. This is America in the Morning. A major winter storm is shaping up in the West. AccuWeather.com meteorologist Matt Rindy has details. March is arriving like a lion in the West and a lamb for the rest. The storm in the West is already producing very heavy rain and significant snow first thing this morning across coastal states from Washington to California. Additional rain along the coast will amount to another one to two inches with localized flooding possible. Rain will then continue southward along the California coast this afternoon and tonight. 
But the big event will be the snow in the mountains of the region, especially in the Sierra Nevada, where snow will be very heavy with gusty winds causing massive blowing and drifting snow. Snow totals will generally range from two to four feet today and tonight with gusts past 70 miles per hour. This will simply bury some structures with additional heavy snow and gusty winds into the rest of the weekend. Total snow amounts in some areas will reach up to 10 feet by Sunday morning. This storm will also reach eastward through the rest of Washington and Oregon into northern Nevada, Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming. Several inches of snow will be possible in the northern Rockies. The other system we are watching across the U.S. is the storm moving through the southern plains into the southeast. This will spread rain and a few thunderstorms from Louisiana to southern Illinois and then Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida into Kentucky and parts of the Carolinas and Virginia. Some of the rain can be heavy at times, causing slower travel through the area. Meanwhile, much of the plain states into North Dakota will be plenty of sunshine and temperatures above average. That's the weather across America. Aberdeen, South Dakota will be quite mild today with plenty of sun and a high of 62. Redding, California will have periods of rain and a high of 54. That's the nation's weather. I'm AccuWeather.com meteorologist Matt Rindy. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and YouTube. Just search America in the Morning in your favorite listening app. I'm John Trout. President Biden and former President Donald Trump each made visits to the southern border in Texas yesterday, just a few hundred miles apart. As Washington correspondent Sagar Magani reports, they may have gone to the border for the same reason, but they each had a different message. Not a week goes by without a, an American either losing their life, being raped or assaulted by somebody who, that Biden has allowed in our country illegally. The fact of the matter is, because of Joe Biden's policies and the more than 8 million people who have crossed the border, the United States of America is being invaded. The president was in Brownsville, Texas, his predecessor some 300 miles away in Eagle Pass. So here's what I would say to Mr. Trump. The president says instead of urging Republicans to block a bipartisan border security bill. I understand my predecessors in Eagle Pass today. So here's what I would say to Mr. Trump. Instead of playing politics with this issue, instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, join me, or I'll join you in telling the Congress to pass this bipartisan border security bill. We can do it together. He spoke as Trump made his own remarks, blaming the president's border policies for massive crime. It's a military operation. I mean, we have a military, this is like a war. Saying the president has blood on his hands. Migrant crime, we call it Biden migrant crime, but that's a little bit long, so we'll just leave it. But every time you hear the term migrant crime, you know where that comes from, allowing thousands and thousands and actually millions and millions of people to come. Could be 15 million, could be 18 million by the time he uh, gets out of office, because hopefully... The biggest risk we have is nine months. That's a long time. Right. A lot of bad things can happen. Both men had remarkably similar schedules, giving briefings on operations and issues, walking the border itself as they seek to turn a key campaign issue in their favor. They desperately need more resources. Say it again. They desperately need more resources, need more agents, more officers, more judges, more equipment in order to secure our border. Folks, it's time for us to move on this. We can't wait any longer. Sagar Megani, Washington.
Separate trips by former President Trump and President Biden to the Texas-Mexico border highlighted an issue that continues to play out in the courts and across the country. Correspondent Clayton Neville has that part of the story. Numbers at the southern border show that a surge in migration continues there. Last year, the number of people encountered at the border represented the largest year-over-year jump ever. And the first couple months of this year show similar trends. While joining former President Donald Trump on a trip to Eagle Pass, Texas, the state's governor, Greg Abbott, blasted the Biden administration, who he says could end the surge of migration today with executive order. Biden not only is not building any borders... Biden is using every tool that he can to tear down the borders that Texas is putting up in our state. This is Texas Guard members laid deterrence along the border. Specialist Kenneth Wynn. There's a canal here underneath this bridge that has left us vulnerable for IAs to cross. So we're creating a barrier with sea wire and panels so that we can control the traffic of IAs. We're here at Shelby Park. I don't know if you've noticed, we've barricaded all entry and exit points all the way around the park. And this is one of the only spots that's still a little bit vulnerable for us. So it's important that we're able to block it off so that we can control traffic of IAs and such. A new law that helped Texas deter illegal immigration is now on hold after a federal judge temporarily blocked that law yesterday. It allows local and state law enforcement to arrest, detain, and deport anyone suspected of entering the U.S. illegally. Critics fear it'll lead to racial profiling. State Rep. Victoria Niave. They don't have the time to focus on checking on whether folks are here with papers or not. Governor Abbott dismisses that concern. They're not profiling. They are seeing with their own eyes people who are violating the law. While the legal process plays out, migrants continue to spread out across the country and some cities like Chicago, Denver, and New York dealing with the financial implications, spending big bucks to deal with immigration, especially in America's sanctuary cities. I'm Clayton Neville. The war on the ground continues in Eastern Europe between Russia and Ukraine, but the war of words is heating up between Russian President Vladimir Putin and the West. Correspondent Karen Shamas reports. Russian President Vladimir Putin has vowed to fulfill Moscow's goals in Ukraine in his State of the Nation address ahead of next month's election. Arriving to an auditorium packed with Russian lawmakers and top officials, Putin began his two-hour-long address. He also sternly warned the West against deeper involvement in the fighting, saying it could risk a global nuclear conflict. French President Emmanuel Macron had earlier said that deploying Western troops to Ukraine should not be ruled out. In an apparent reference to Macron's statement, Putin said countries who decided to do that would face tragic consequences. He accused the West in provoking conflict in Ukraine, the Middle East and other regions of the world, and said that there are also weapons that can hit targets on their territory. Russian forces are pushing hard against more Ukrainian towns and villages in eastern and southeastern Ukraine. Meanwhile, Ukraine's military said it managed to down three more warplanes. Ukraine's army chief has said that the Russian army is trying to seize the towns and villages of Tonenke and Orlivka, as well as three others in the eastern Donetsk region. Russian forces have been making gains over some Ukrainian positions by deploying an overwhelming amount of troops. Ukraine does not have enough reservists and has a severe shortage shortage of artillery shells as the supply of military aid from Western partners has waned. I'm Karen Shamas. This is America in the Morning. When we return, the in vitro debate continues and a smarter smartphone. Part of what we cover next, back after these messages. 
You're with America in the Morning. I'm John Trout. The Alabama legislature voted to protect providers and patients doing in vitro fertilization from criminal or civil liability. Sue Aller reports this comes after a state Supreme Court ruling that left doctors and patients in fear of arrest. There are mothers out there who are worried about whether or not they will be criminalized for those uh, embryos that are left and what, how would they be disposed of. On Thursday, lawmakers in Alabama's House and Senate passed bills protecting IVF clinics. About a week ago, Alabama's state Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos should be considered children and have the same rights as children. The consequences of that ruling prompted at least three fertility clinics across the state to stop performing in vitro fertilization procedures. These bills provide legal protection to IVF clinics and service providers by ensuring that no legal action or criminal prosecution can be brought against individuals or entities providing goods and services related to IVF. The fast-track legislation is expected to be signed by Governor Kay Ivey as early as next week. There is some fear that what happened in Alabama could be the playbook to fertility treatments nationwide. Health and Human Service Secretary Javier Becerra says more action needs to be taken. In order to have a national solution here, it has to be a national uh, proposal. And so there are some that would reinstate essentially the protections under Roe. I'm Sue Aller. As the Texas Panhandle wildfire surpasses one million acres burned and is still barely contained, fire crews are getting much needed help from Mother Nature. Correspondent Haya Panjwani has the latest. Snow is falling in the Texas Panhandle as a wildfire continues to burn in the region. The wildfire that began earlier this week is still one of the largest in the state's history. It's burned down homes and businesses. Richard Murray is a resident living near Canadian, Texas. It's still emotional. It, it's, it's, this is our life. I mean, we've been here for 50 years, and it's, it's, it's pretty tough. His home burned down, and he lost a few pets. I lost two dogs and two cats. Authorities have confirmed one death, an 83-year-old woman. On Thursday morning, residents in the region woke up to snow, but the Texas A&M Forest Service says the fire was still only 3% contained as of Wednesday night. I'm Haya Panjwani. In Missouri, a police officer and process server were killed when a gunman opened fire from a home as he was being given an eviction notice. Police in Independence, Missouri, report that 35-year-old officer Cody Allen and Drexel Mack, who worked for the county, went to a home to serve the papers when the man inside began shooting. That man later arrested after suffering minor injuries. Two other officers were hurt with injuries described as non-life-threatening. Police are expected to release more details later today. A young Pentagon leak suspect plans to change his plea. Details from correspondent Ed Donahue. Texera had previously pleaded not guilty. He is the Massachusetts Air National Guard member accused of leaking highly classified military documents about Russia's war in Ukraine and other sensitive national security topics on the social media platform Discord, which is popular with people who play online games. Investigators believe he led a private chat group called Thug Shaker Central. Court papers show the judge was asked to schedule a change of plea hearing next week. He's been behind bars for close to a year. Authorities haven't talked Talked about a possible motive, but accounts of those in the online private chat group describe Texera as motivated more by bravado than ideology. I'm Ed Donahue. 
Faster processors mean smarter apps for your smartphone. Here's Chuck Palm with today's tech report. According to a post from SciTech Daily, MIT researchers have developed a special purpose chip that increases the speed of neural network computing by three to seven times over its predecessor, while also reducing power consumption by 95%. This could make it practical to run neural networks locally on smartphones. Most AI advances, such as speech or face recognition programs, have come at the courtesy of neural networks, densely interconnected meshes of simple information processors that learn to perform tasks by analyzing huge sets of training data. Neural networking computing generally requires huge processors and their consumption of energy is intensive, so they're not very practical for handheld devices. Smartphone apps that rely on neural nets simply upload data to internet servers and process it and send the results back. Using multi-layered processors, splitting the analysis of the data and sending them back and forth mimics the synapses in the brain, making it much more power efficient. Leave a comment at allthetoptech.tech I'm Chuck Palm. Robert Workman Sports is sponsored by Untuck It. Shop online at untuckit.com or at our 80-plus stores for the perfect fitting untucked shirt. Untuck It. NHL, the Kings crush the Canucks 5-1. Vancouver's sixth loss in seven games knocks them out of the top spot in the standings. New on top, the Florida Panthers, who clipped the Canadians in a shootout for a league-leading 84 points. The Bruins are right there, too. They nip the Golden Knights to snap a three-game slide. Morgan Geeky with his first career hat trick. It's something that you don't ever really think about coming into a game, but it's always fun, you know, especially when you get two points for sure. So um, it was good to close that one out. The Stars dazzled the Jets in the battle for first place in the Central Division. Maple Leaf shaded the Coyotes. Austin Matthews scored his 53rd goal of the season, while Arizona lost its 14th consecutive game. Predators pounced on the Wild for their seventh straight win. Islanders over the Red Wings, ending Detroit's six-game winning streak. Sabres, Hurricanes, Avalanche, Kraken, and Ducks win. College basketball, Iowa's Caitlin Clark has announced she will enter the WNBA draft next month, foregoing her COVID year with the Hawkeyes. She projects to be the number one overall pick, which is currently held by the Indiana Fever. March Madness tips off next week with conference tournaments starting with the Atlantic Sun on Monday. NBA, the Spurs stun the Thunder 132-118. That ends OKC's six-game winning streak and San Antonio's five-game losing streak. Suns repelled the Rockets 35 for Devin Booker. Nets handled the Hawks. Cam Johnson had 29 points. Felt good. Uh, just the way we played felt, felt right. Uh, everybody's intention and focus. Warriors went wire to wire over the Knicks, Magic came back to beat the Jazz, Bucks swatted the Hornets, Nuggets turned down the Heat, and the Lakers got 40 from Anthony Davis as they outlasted the Wizards in overtime. That's Friday Sports. Thank you, sir. When we return on America in the Morning, voting official pulls the resignation lever after these messages. Thanks for listening. This is America in the Morning. A county clerk in Nevada has handed in his resignation. Correspondent Norman Hall reports he was in charge of the controversial hand count vote in 2022 that was roiled by voting machine conspiracy theories. Nye County Clerk Mark Kemp stepped in as the county's top election official in the wake of the county commission unanimously voting in support of ditching voting machines because of false claims of widespread election fraud from the 2020 election. The commission wanted every vote counted by hand, a request that made the old county clerk resign. 
Kiff ended up conducting a hand count that was successfully challenged by the ACLU of Nevada. Kiff gave no reason for his resignation, effective March 31st. I'm Norman Hall. Correspondent Jennifer King reports on what Americans really think about the war in Ukraine and U.S. funding. It's all part of a new poll. 27% of Americans surveyed say the U.S. is spending too little versus 70% who say we're spending too much or just the right amount. Among Democrats, 44% say the U.S. is spending too little on military aid for Ukraine. That's up from 14% in November. Among Republicans, 55% say the U.S. is spending too much. Only 14% say the U.S. is spending too little. Jeffrey Jackson, a Republican from Granbury, Texas, tells the AP the U.S. government needs to take care of our own people and then worry about the rest of the world later. Nevertheless, half of U.S. adults say it's highly important for the U.S. to focus on stopping Russia from gaining more territory in Ukraine, and a majority, including Republicans, support the spirit of Article 5 of the NATO military alliance and say they would favor deploying U.S. troops to defend a NATO ally if it were attacked by Russian forces. Jennifer King, Washington. The new Dune movie is heading into theaters, hoping to ignite the box office. Kevin Carr has a sneak peek at Dune Part 2. Denis Villeneuve finishes his epic adaptation of Frank Herbert's classic novel with Dune Part 2. In the shadows of Arrakis lie many secrets. The story picks right up from the previous film. Paul Atreides and his mother Jessica have fled to the desert to join the nomadic Fremen. There, Paul concentrates his power as a potential messiah while planning to overthrow the evil Harkonnens. You've been fighting the Harkonnens for decades. My family's been fighting them for centuries. Most of my complaints about the previous film have been improved. There's greater character development and the diversity of the different worlds is explored, though it still seems the furniture comes from the same galactic Ikea no matter the planet. Don't try to impress anyone. Nothing fancy. I understand. Nothing fancy. Most important, this completes a story that was merely set up in the last film. This is why I despise the trend of two-part adaptations. Sure, it generates more cash, but it results in awkward pacing. This version of Dune is epic and has scope, and Villeneuve loosened the reins a bit, though he doesn't go gloriously off the rails like David Lynch did in the 80s. You are not prepared for what is to come. This film manages to capture what was once considered unfilmable, and it mitigates a minefield of triggering topics like conspiracies, religion, terrorism, war, and desert politics. He who can destroy a thing has the real control of it. Dune Part 2 gets four sandworms out of five. I'm Kevin Carr, and that's the way I see it. America in the Morning for Friday, March 1st, 2024, is produced by Jeff McKay, senior producer Kevin Delaney. I'm John Trouts. This is Westwood One. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.